God, anybody else glad to be back? Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Baba. Doing an awesome job. Man, oh. Wow! Get it, Baba! <laughs> hey, we might as well kick, uh, kick this off with a time-appropriate video. So check this out right here. hand sanitizer in church. Anybody notice that? I don't know. At my church, they have these two hand sanitizer stations right by the front door greeters. That is not a good message. People come in on Sunday. How you doing? Nice to see you all. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming. You're going to love it here. We just love people. You can just be yourself. You can just be yourself. We don't care. We don't judge you. We just love. You sit back and whatever questions you have, you let us know. We'll let you know whatever we can do for you, okay? Y'all newly married? You got four kids? Four kids. That is amazing. God love. We love kids here. Kids are like a little gift from God is what they are. They are just wonderful little creatures that God gives us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where y'all from? Arkansas? Okay. There's some mints in the basket. Grab a handful, you circus freaks. Go ahead. Uh, little humor. Now, now, okay, you got to own this now. Where, now, I'm not, ta I'm talking pre-COVID. I'm talking, where are my germaphobes at? Come on. You, you wash your hands. You sanitize, you carry, I, I know there's more of you than that. You sanitize, come on. I'm talking about the person that's in the bathroom. You sanitize and you wash. And then you grab the paper towel, you dry your hands off. Then you take that paper towel and you open up the door. And then you'll take your booty to help some of y'all. Some of y'all got more help than others, uh, but you, you open it up, and then, come on, you're just, come on, own it. You just, that, that, my wife, she carries hand sanitizer with her everywhere we go. Now, how many of you would say uh, that since all this has kicked in, oh, let me stop here. Welcome our uh, live streaming audience, those that you call this place home but aren't able to be with us, thank you. Uh, now, how many would say those uh, that since this has been going on, you actually are a little more mindful of washing your hands or sanitizing. I, that's me. How many would say that, you know what, Kelly, I, I, I still, I just don't think about it, don't really care. Come on, I just do whatever. How many, come on, on it, that's you. Come on, I know you're here. And that's why we have a, and that's why we have a six-feet rule right there. <laughs> but, but, but we do, and some people are y'all like, uh, well, you know what, PK? I just believe in the scripture that cleanliness is next to godliness. Some of y'all actually think that's a scripture. Uh, come on, but how many would like that? I, I believe that. I believe, hey, I'm all about being clean. I'm all about washing hands, especially before you eat, sit down and eat a meal. That's me. Come on. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. I'm about to disappoint some of you. Um, but Jesus didn't carry the same thought process when it came to these things. Uh, I, I want to show you something. Uh, Mark 7 and, and this is not our main focus today, but just a couple of scriptures to, to mess with the germaphobes a little bit. Um, Mark 7, 1 and 2, and jumping over to verse 5. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus, saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now look what he says in verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers asked Jesus, 
Why don't your disciples living live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled or unwashed hands? Well, you know, that's his disciples. They were still rough around the edges. They were still trying to get their act together. Well, let's look at Jesus, uh, Luke 11. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in, reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So if you don't wash your hands before a meal, just say, hey, I'm trying to be more like Jesus. No, no, do not say that. Do not. Uh, because here's the truth. We're living in a different time, right? Come on, come on, right? We're living in a in different age, a different time. But what I want you to understand is for the Jews watching on and seeing the disciples not do this, seeing Jesus not do this, this was not a cleanliness thing to them. It was not a sanitary thing. This was a law thing. They were breaking the law. This is what you were, because according to the law, you didn't eat, much less sit down at a table until you had gone through ceremonial hand washing. Then you could sit down. Then you could eat. But you didn't do it before then because if you did, you were then deemed unclean. Unclean. And this is how strong the Jewish people felt about it. Uh, someone that was considered unclean, they were not accepted. At all. It was unacceptable. It, at all so so this is where we're at kind of in our society today we watch people a little more to see if they're washing hands or sanitizing come on you so you'd go in the bathroom and do your business and just walk out whatever but now you kind of like oh, they're gonna wash their hands they're gonna at least gonna sanitize and then if they don't oh unclean come on i glad Back away from them. Uh, that, that, that's uh, this past week, uh, me and Denise had went over, uh, and Sheridan had went over to Athens to meet Kennedy. We ate lunch. It was the first day that you were allowed to go in and sit down at a restaurant to eat, and so we were we took full advantage of that. And yes, we ate at a Mexican restaurant. Oh my lord, that was the toughest part. Not sitting down eating chips and salsa with my brother and breaking bread, uh, but. We ate, and then so afterwards, uh, they said, let's go to Dunkin' Donuts. I said, I need to run by Lowe's, pick up something real quick, then I'll meet y'all at Dunkin'. Went to Lowe's, got what I needed, met them over there. Of course, you couldn't go and sit down in Dunkin', but you could go in and order and, then, and take stuff out. I go in, I order me 20 of the little powder sugar-coated munchkins because they're bite-sized. And so I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there eating. Denise is driving. Uh, for some reason, she usually doesn't, but I, I'm sitting over there. I'm just eating them and eating them. And she said, uh, did you wash your hands or you put sanitizer? You've been to Lowe's. And so I'm with fingers in my mouth licking off the sugar. <laughs> I'm like, look, no. <laughs> and she gave me this look. Unclean. You unclean heathen, you. Here's why I say all that, because I'm trying to give you a glimpse of how the Jewish people of this time felt about cleanness and be, being considered unclean or what it meant to be clean. And if you think we take it serious right now during this COVID-19 thing, the Jewish people took it to a whole nother level. 
I, I mean, they were serious about it. And why, I want, why I'm saying this is because we're about to see an encounter that Jesus has with this man that would be seen as the epitome of unclean. He was considered, you could not get any more unclean than the encounter we're about to see Jesus have. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 uh, and look at three verses in Matthew chapter 8. Um, little backstory: Jesus had just finished preaching his most famous sermon ever. Anybody know what it is? Sermon on the Mount. He's been up there and uh, three chapters, five, six, and seven. And most theologians believe that Jesus taught for like two to three days straight. So if you ever think I'm long-winded, Come on, you never sat two or three days straight. Uh, Leslie didn't know my kids have when they were teenagers. Uh, but that's a different story. They deserved every moment of it. Uh, but Jesus is finishing up. He's coming down off this mountain. This huge crowd is following him. And that's where Jesus has this encounter. Verse 1 of chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leper was cleansed. So Jesus is coming down the mountain. He just finished preaching his most famous sermon. This huge crowd is following, and he has this encounter with this unnamed leper. All we know is a man with leprosy. Thing about leprosy, see, we hear leprosy, and, you know, we think of just the, but we don't know everything that went along with this disease. Uh, the, the, to, to say that uh, to, to the people of that day, especially the Jewish people, leprosy was the epitome of unclean. In fact, many Jewish people thought if you had leprosy, the reason you had it was because you or your parents sinned, and because of your sin or their sin, God cursed you with this disease. So you were unclean. And so you were taken away from your family, and you were quarantined with other lepers. Not just 14 days, forever. Forever. This is how one doctor described leprosy in the Bible. He said its symptoms start in the skin and peripheral nervous system, then spread to other parts such as the hands, feet, face, and earlobes. Patients with leprosy experience disfigurement of the skin and bones, twisting of the limbs, curling of the fingers to form the characteristic claw hand. Facial changes include thickening of the outer ear, collapsing of the nose. The doctor went on to say, the disease kills the nerves in your body. And the advanced cases of leprosy, they experience a total loss of physical pain and senses. In some cases, leprosy patients have lost fingers due to rats eating them off and them not even know it happening. That's what they were dealing with. So leprosy was a debilitating disease. There was no cure. No one, see, not only was leprosy disfiguring, horrible disease, it was also a humiliating disease. Why? Because you would have to go before the priest, and then he would pronounce you ceremonially unclean. And if that wasn't bad enough, once you were pronounced ceremonially unclean, if you and you were cast out, if you were walking down the road and you saw people coming towards you, 
You yourself would have to holler out, I'm clean, I'm clean, giving them warning that they were about to, they were getting close to someone unclean. How many would like to have to do that? And that's what they were forced to do. The worst part of this disease, though, was not the disfigurement. It was not being uh, deemed unclean. The worst part of this disease was this. You were cast out of society. If you had a wife, didn't matter. If you had kids, didn't matter. If you owned a business, didn't matter. If you were successful, popular, it didn't matter. This disease, it didn't have favorites. Because once you contacted it, you were cast out. You, 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 you were no more. And you were moved from society, placed into these leper colonies where you would spend the rest of your life, life as you knew it, was over. And it's easy just to read this story and think, oh, it's just another time healing Jesus had. Jesus coming down from the mountain, encounters a leper, he healed him. Great story. But can I tell you, there's a lot more going on in these three scriptures than that. Uh, yes, Jesus is coming down the mountain. Yes, he's just wrapped up preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you're not familiar, I think you're probably more familiar with that than you think. It's Sermon on the Mount uh, includes things like doing to others, the Beatitudes, uh, salt light. Those are highlights. Uh, and, but then he goes to all, then verse 1 of chapter 8. Let's look at it again. When he came down the mountain, Jesus came down the mountain, great crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came, knelt before him, said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus is coming down from where the mountain, coming down from the mountain, encounters this leprosy. Le leprosy. That's a new word for leper. Leprosy. This guy with leper, leprosy, man, I'm just screwing it all up. Encounters this guy and heals him. There's another story about someone in the Bible found in Exodus 20 that comes down from the mountain. Moses. Remember, Moses is up there meeting with God. God gives him the Ten Commandments. I mean, lays it out, inscribes it. And Moses is coming down the mountain, and he hears what sounds like a party going on with the people he left. And when he comes up on the scene, he's seen them. They got tired of waiting on Moses to hear from God. So now they have taken and melted down their gold and made these golden calves, and they are now worshiping, worshiping them. They are now unclean. So what does Moses do? Moses comes down and sees it. You remember what he does? Takes the tablets, throws them, breaks them. Now, that, here's something some of you may not know. That's not all he did. He then takes the golden calves grinds them up into dust, takes that dust, puts it in a drink, water, whatever, then makes the people drink it. So Moses comes down the mountain, encounters these people in their sin, in their uncleanness, and makes them drink their punishment. Jesus comes down the mountain, encounters a man in his sin, encounters a man that's considered unclean. He doesn't make the man drink his punishment. In fact, the opposite. Jesus drinks the punishment that you and I deserve. There's a big difference when Jesus comes down the mountain than when somebody else comes down the mountain. And Jesus, what's Jesus doing by encountering this person that everybody's saying unclean, unclean? Here's what Jesus is doing. And I've got, I've got like two notes for you today. Jesus is doing this. Jesus is showing us a new way to be human, 
a new way to live, a better way to live. Jesus comes down the mountain, has this huge following, and at the base of the mountain, he comes face to face with a living symbol of what sin looked like to those people. Anybody think it was just a coincidence that that man is there when Jesus comes down? I, I don't think it was. I mean, Jesus has just preached this message uh, that included things like, if you hate your brother, if you hate somebody, you're a murderer. If you have lust, if you've ever lusted after a man or a woman, you're an adulterer. Now, if we went by those standards today, this church would be full of murderers and adulterers. Take your halo off. And it's in this same message that Jesus also says this, be holy as God is holy. Jesus just preached, be holy as God is holy. Well, how's that? Well, the, to them, the way you are holy is you keep yourself clean. You don't come into contact with anything considered unclean. Yet Jesus just preached that, and now Jesus is coming in contact with the very symbol of what sin and uncleanness look like to these people. And the people would be thinking, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? I mean, the, these people that are following Jesus, they're very familiar with the law. But, and Jesus said this, listen, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. And these people that are seeing Jesus do this, they're very they're, they're very familiar with the law. But to them, the law that was meant to, to, to free them up had now become a very heavy weight for them. Because we know the ten. But they've come up with 613 laws. And for the Jewish people listening, it had become a weight because every second of every minute of every hour of every day was them spending trying not to break the law. Trying not to do something wrong. Trying not. Come on. Can anybody relate? Hey, is this wrong? Is, it, is this wrong? Anybody, I, I did. Anybody say anything? And so this law had become heavy for them. And, and here Jesus, the rabbi, coming down from the mountain, he encounters a man breaking the law. What do you mean? Well, he's not even supposed to be there in a crowd. And if he is, he should have been hollering out, unclean, unclean. But he doesn't. Look at verse 2 again. A man with leprosy knelt before him. Jesus said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Knelt before, that, that word knelt doesn't do justice to what happened here. When you look up the original word here, the Greek word, here's what the original word means. It means the man fell prostrate at Jesus with his face in the dirt. It wasn't just a Jesus. This man was desperate. He, he was desperate. He throws himself at Jesus' feet and says, If you are willing, Jesus... I know you can make me clean. I mean, can you imagine the chaos this must have caused? I mean, all of a sudden, the people realizing that somebody unclean that would make them unclean is now there in their midst, and they're like uh, backing up. But while everybody else is making distance between them, what's Jesus doing? Moving in closer. Man, isn't that just like Jesus? times when we screwed up sometimes times when we've blown it 
Even our own family wants to distance himself from us. But Jesus is always trying to move closer into us. That's just the way he is. And others watching this taking place, they had to be thinking, uh, watch this, Lord, Jesus is about to rebuke this guy for breaking the law. Jesus is about to get, get, get this man and, and tell him, hey, you're unclean. You, you shouldn't even be here. But Jesus doesn't rebuke the man for breaking the law. Jesus didn't say you should have known better. Instead, Jesus does something unexpected. Jesus himself breaks the law. And he reaches out and touches this unclean man, which in their eyes makes Jesus now what? Unclean. Unclean. People had to be thinking, why? Why would Jesus do this? They knew the law recorded in Leviticus that if something unclean touches something clean, it makes what was clean unclean. And here Jesus is touching something unclean. Why would he do that? Why would he touch him? Well, PK, he did it to heal him. He didn't have to. I mean, you read a story right after this, and Jesus just speaks a word, and the guy's healed. No touching. He didn't have to. So why did he touch him? I think he touched him because he wanted to. Not a matter of needing to. I think he touched him because he wanted to. Think about this. When was the last time this man had felt physical touch? When was the last time this man had, had, had felt real human touch? If he had a wife before the disease, when was the last time he had felt her embrace? If he had kids before the disease, when was the last time he had felt his kids come up and wrap their arms around him? Jesus touched this man because, man, this guy had been missing this. I mean, one article I read about touch said this. It says your body craves touch like it craves water. Touch is the first of your body's five senses to develop. Get this, Sherry. The sense of touch has been a part of you since six to nine weeks after you were conceived. Touch. Human beings are born with a need for physical contact. And to deny yourself touch is to deny yourself of the necessity for your emotional development and well-being. I just have to wonder, how long has it been? Since this guy felt physical touch other than by accident where somebody brushed, oh, 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 and then they quickly got away from him. I know English was telling me after service this morning about this experiment that was done in the 70s with these two monkeys. He said in one case they had a monkey and they put this, this artificial dummy, this dummy in there with a cage. Wasn't real, just a dummy. And, and, and they both, both monkeys, this monkey had nothing. This one had the dummy. And, and the one, the monkey that had the dummy in there would cuddle with it, would, you know, would ha show affection to it, would be there. And they both received the same thing. They said after weeks, the one monkey that had nobody, not even a dummy, went downhill so fast. So they took a dummy and they put one in there with it. And they said within days, this monkey began to improve. Tell you the importance of human touch. Why did Jesus touch this man? Because this man needed it. He because when he reached out and touched him, that that, that man had to know this person actually cares. They're taking a chance by even touching me. 
so Jesus, Jesus it reaches out and touches him. And according to the law, uh, if something is unclean, it is highly contagious, meaning something unclean can only make something clean unclean. Hey, let me demonstrate. Let, let's say you had a, a plate that has been left with unattended, uh, for lack of a better word, and it's got jug, it's maybe even growing a little mold there. And so you take a clean plate, and you take that clean plate, and you put it on that filthy plate. And then you take, what is the clean plate, Is it or is the dirty plate clean now? No, it's just made the clean plate now dirty. And so what Jesus is doing, before the people's very eyes, Jesus is showing them, hey, what you thought was impossible, I'm showing you is possible. Because here's what Jesus is showing them. Jesus makes the unclean clean. You see, up to this point, unclean was the dominating force. It was the dominating, meaning if it just came into contact with something clean, automatically that clean thing became unclean. But Jesus said, no, I'm reversing it. Now the clean is going to make the unclean clean. It's contagious. See, in the church, we grew up like this. With the, it's not so much now, but it's still out there with this mentality. I'm clean. So I'm going to keep myself clean by putting this bubble around me. And I'm not going to go where anything else is maybe unclean, whether it be people or anything. I'm going to, this right here. Because why? Because if I go out there and something unclean touches me, I got to start all over again. I'm unclean. But Jesus said, no, no. What I put inside of you, you are clean. Meaning when you touch the unclean, it should become clean. You are contagious. Come, but, but we live over here. One of my favorite quotes from, from um, Billy Graham. Man, when the church, when he prayed at the inauguration of Bill Clinton, and the church world gave him hell for praying at Bill Clinton. I mean, they went crazy. And I love Billy Graham's response. How do you change the world if you never touch the world? How do we change our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods if we never encounter them? Yesterday, man, I was I pulled in. I was coming up here uh, to the church and, and pulled in the, uh, the IGA to get me an energy drink because uh, I knew it was going to be a long day because um, nobody else signed up to help. No, let's go on. So. <laughs> but... Uh, funny uh, and, and I felt God there was an older lady out there getting gas and I thought God said get her gas and she comes walking in and I'm paying for mine and I said hey put her gas on mine but she said you don't even know me I said ma'am I don't have to know you it's when God tells me to bless you to bless me and she was just like I'm like little you know how much gas I, she got thank you Lord wasn't a big truck If it had been a diesel, I'd have been like, uh, you sure, Lord? Uh, $10 worth of gas. 
I didn't know her. But that should not keep me as a follower of Jesus from trying to be contagious, showing love. God's love in us should make us contagious. His grace should be contagious. His forgiveness should be contagious. His love should be contagious in us. That is good. Thank you, Pastor Ben. See, here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus, I mean, that, I even called in grace this morning to make sure I had my facts right. And she said, close enough, PK. And I said, thank you. That's all I needed. That's all I need, just give me close enough. See, right now, they're, they're, uh, these antibodies, they're finding out if you have COVID-19, they'll test you. If you've got the antibodies, that pretty much makes you immune from getting it again. And they'll, they'll take people that's got the antibodies, and now they're trying to, to use those antibodies in somebody else's blood to help others with the disease. When I was studying, I thought, that's what Jesus did. On the cross, he took every sin we would ever commit. Every depression we would ever face, every heartbreak we would, and it was all put upon him. And now in his blood are the antibodies from every sin we will ever face. And all we have to do is say, if you're willing, and he says, I'm willing, I'm willing. Jesus was telling those people that day that, hey, you don't have to spend another minute of your life being afraid of what's unclean. In fact, you should be making what's unclean, clean. I mean, we, we've gotten away from First 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the what? World. I love the way the message says it. The spirit in you is far stronger than anything in the world. Can you imagine being in the crowd that day and watching this interaction take place? Something you have been told your whole life was impossible. And now you're seeing it made possible. I mean, before your eyes, you're seeing something clean making something unclean clean. How does that work? I'm telling you guys, as followers of Jesus, that should change the way we live. And knowing that we as clean should be making things unclean because of the antibodies, the grace that's flowing through us. That, I'm, that should change the way we look at people and see people and see circumstances. It's easy for us to look at an addict and see them as an addict. But it's the antibodies and the grace of God that sees a child of God instead of that. Are you hearing me? I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're not given this leper's name just as a man with leprosy. You know why I think he's unnamed? Because in the reality, you and I are the lepers. You and I are the leper that were unclean. And we needed Jesus to step to us and just touch us and give us purpose and reason for life. You and I. And some of you know what it's like to have family and friends. I, I think Casey talked about this this past week in one of his devotions. How when he was at the height of his drug stage and, and drug addiction, that really even his brother Kel had given up on him. And I don't think I, don't, I think I've told you this. Maybe not if if I haven't. Now you know. But there was a there was a time when Casey would get get saved and. Uh, two days later, he's back out running, looking for his next fix. 
I come in one day, I told Nathan, I said, I wish God would save him and then just kill him. So at least I know he's in heaven. Because in reality, I kind of gave up. But there was two people that didn't, mom and his wife. Why? Because they knew the power of God, the, the power that lied in the blood of Jesus, that no one is untouchable, no one is unreachable, no one is unchangeable when it comes to, comes to the blood of Jesus being applied to their life. And Jesus came. And yes, this man had a disfiguring disease. Yes, it was hard to look at him. But the truth is, you and I have a, have, have a disease far worse than leprosy or COVID-19. And it's sin. Sin. Jesus came to take the punishment, to drink the punishment, so that you and I wouldn't have to. See, Jesus showing those looking on that day, no disease. No sin, no addiction, no one. There's nobody that I won't cross a line to reach out and touch and rescue. The leper fell at Jesus' feet. If you're willing to make me clean. And again, Jesus doesn't rebuke him for breaking the law. If I can just get above everyone and come on out. And then we're going to go into time of worship. Jesus looks at this man. And does what nobody there expected Jesus to do. Not even the man himself. He reaches out and touches the man. And says, I'm willing. Be clean. And I tell you today, Jesus looks down at us. And he asks us, he says, how broken are you? How messed up, how jacked up are you? How bad has it gotten for you? How disfigured are you? How dark are the secrets you keep that hoping nobody finds out? Because I carry what you need. And if you will just ask me, I am willing and I will cleanse. Stand with me across this place. Jesus stands ready and willing, guys. Willing to touch the broken places in our life willing to embrace the ugly parts of us willing to embrace all the junk in our lives, in our past, in our present I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't look at me and try to distance himself from me even on Lord I find funny come on, you ever been out with somebody and them start acting stupid, you kind of we're not with him so glad even on my dumbest days Jesus never tries to distance himself but he stands there I remember they used to say well, well Kelly if you, if you went in the bar you think Jesus would be there I do I do Kelly when you were drunk you think Jesus was there oh I do I think he said come on Kelly I'm willing waiting for you to ask I'm willing I can all, all the hurt in your life I can heal it all the unforgiveness you have for those that have hurt you I can heal it all the hurt you've caused others I can heal it I'm willing all you gotta do is ask I 
just wonder. Because I, I, I'm going to assume, and yes, I know what happens when you assume. And I'm going to assume that for the most part, almost everybody in here are followers of Jesus. Because if you ever had an excuse not to attend church, this is your excuse time. Now that the gyms are back open, now I've got to find new excuses of why I can't go to the gym. I'm assuming you're here because you just want an encounter with Jesus. And here's what I need to tell you. Just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you won't experience brokenness. Doesn't mean you won't experience depression. Doesn't mean, we, we had this conversation yesterday, me and Paul and uh, Dave and Anthony about the difference between a righteous man and an unrighteous man. The only difference between the righteous and the unrighteous man is the unrighteous man, when he falls, he just stays there. The righteous man gets back up. So yeah, as a follower of Jesus, you're probably going to fall. You're going to fail. You're, you're going to do some things that you hope nobody else will. Can, is it okay that I'm real and honest? That you hope nobody finds out about. You're, you're going to have those days. But I'm here to tell you. Jesus says, I'm willing. I'm willing to take those broken places, those dark places. The ball's in your court. What are you going to do with it? Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here. You say PK, or if you're even at home watching online, you say, you know what? There's some things, I am a follower of Jesus, but there's some things in my life that I know need healed. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe, maybe this time has showed you that there's more fear in you than you thought. And you need God to heal that in you. Maybe you've hurt someone and you don't know that you could ever be forgiven. I, I don't know what it is, but you know what it is that, that you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but man, there's some broken things. There's some things in me that I just need God to heal. I need God to do something inside of me.